Today's episode is brought to you by the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. To learn more, visit usbank.com slash altitude go. Today's episode is brought to you by Wise, the account that helps you manage your money around the world, which is huge for travelers. I've been a customer and a fan for 10 years. The Wise account helps you send, spend, and receive in different currencies fast, and they do it all without hidden fees or exchange rate markups. This service has been so critical for me in my life as a traveler, as a nomad, as somebody living abroad, and you can join 16 million customers and learn how the Wise account can help you out on the road at wise.com slash travel. That's wise, W-I-S-E dot com slash travel, or download the app. This episode of Zero to Travel is brought to you by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. One of the most famous quotes ever was spoken by Mahatma Gandhi, who said, Be the change that you wish to see in the world. You've all heard that one before. And this episode today and today's guest is a reminder that... We as individuals truly can be the change we want to see, and we can even do it by incorporating travel and adventure. That's exactly what he did when he walked 300 miles across his home country wearing a full suit of (laughs) medieval armor. You're going to hear his entire story in today's show. Plus, I want to share a beautiful travel equation that came out of this. I love a good elegant equation like E equals MC squared. I mean, it's a it's a foundational equation for the universe. Well, I've got some travel equations too. I want to share one that I thought of coming out of this episode with you. Plus, is there a great awakening happening out there? I read a recent article that might be a little bit of proof for for that. Something we've been talking about on the show for a while. Plus, I'm going to give a shout out to somebody in this community who is planning a six-year-long trip. Why six years long? You'll have to tune in to find out all of this and much more. It's coming to you right now, so buckle up, strap in, grab your favorite beverage, relax. Thanks for being here, and welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. You're listening to the Zero to Travel podcast, where we explore exciting travel-based work, lifestyle, and business opportunities, helping you to achieve your wildest travel dreams. And now your host, world wanderer and travel junkie, Jason Moore. Hey, what's up? It's Jason with ZeroToTravel.com. Welcome to the show. Thanks for hanging out, letting me bring a little bit of travel into your ears today. This is the show to help you travel the world on your terms to fill your life with as much travel as you desire, no matter what your situation or experience. And you know, we've got a great show for you today. As you heard at the top, so much going on. I'm excited. I actually went downtown into Oslo for the first time in a while yesterday because I got my vaccine over two weeks ago. I'm finally in a good place there. And I got my hair cut. It was getting crazy. Guys, I cut it all off. Got the summer cut, as they call it in Norway. I just found that out. That's a thing, I guess. People walk in, they say, give me the summer cut. So I got the summer cut. I'm all short up top. How are you doing? What is happening in your neck of the woods? You know, I got three emails just yesterday from people in this community who are quitting their jobs to travel. And 
that always uh, gets me excited. Again, I'm not going to sit here and say, you know, everybody should quit their jobs right now. But if there are people who want to do that and they're tired of putting off travel and then they email me and tell me about it, you know, I'm, I'm going to celebrate them. I'm going to celebrate them here on the show. You know what we talk about. And I'm going to celebrate one of them in just a moment. This person's planning a six-year-long trip. I was going to say that's an odd number, but it's actually an even number still. Six years. Why six years? Before we get into this shout out, just a reminder, the interview's coming up. It's an incredibly inspiring one and something, well, I'll share some more thoughts about it afterwards because it'll make more sense. But this guy, Lewis, put on a full suit of medieval armor and walked 300 miles and you're going to hear why he did it. And uh, this brought to mind for me a beautiful new travel equation. And I'll share what that is on the back end. And I also want to talk about this great awakening that's potentially happening. It ties in with this shout out I'm going to share with you now. So all that's happening after the interview. So stick around for that. Now, the shout out is for Timothy, who sent me an email. Love from Australia was the subject line. He said, big fan of the podcast. Thanks so much. You've inspired me as we are currently planning our move into full-time travel. A couple of years ago, I spent a year broke packing, quote unquote, through Southeast Asia. I left Australia with 2,000 Australian, which is like 1,500 American dollars, and lasted an entire year on that, hitchhiking, camping, etc. It certainly gave me the travel bug. <laughs> Hold on. I got to hit pause there and say, wow, that's impressive. That is really broke packing. I mean, $1,500 for a year? That is crazy and awesome. And Timothy, I don't know, we might have to have you on the show to talk about that. <laughs> so if you're listening to this, get back in touch or I'll get in touch with you, I should say. Um, anyway, he goes on to say, I got back to Australia. My first goal was to generate $1,000 a month of passive income in being back home. I ended up getting into the corporate life and ended up getting the quote unquote dream job in my teenage years, a good income, my own office and two assistants. I hit the jackpot. Unfortunately, as is so often the case, this job slowly sucked the life out of me. However, my side hustle was growing and growing until it got large enough that it now allows me to travel indefinitely. Winning! Therefore, three weeks ago, I handed in my two-month notice and leave corporate Australia and get going on the trip in a few weeks. My partner and I have got a whole heap of travel planned for the next long while. Next year, we are visiting her family. She is Colombian. We're getting married in Italy, and we've got a bunch of other trips planned. However, the part I'm really excited to share with you is what we're starting in 2023. Starting on January 1st, 2023, we are embarking on an absolutely huge trip. We are going from my country, Australia, to Paula's country, Colombia, without using any flights whatsoever. We are planning on going to every continent besides Antarctica on this trip, and we have accounted for a trip of approximately six years. There you go. There's the six years number. He said, I just wanted to share this with you because your podcast is what's getting me excited about all this and also providing me with plenty of helpful tips to use on our trip. He goes on to say, going to South America without flying is no small feat. So I'd love hearing other inspirational stories to give me helpful guides and a whole lot of inspiration. So he also gave me a guest recommendation. So I'll try to fulfill that request for you, Timothy. So anyway, you know, I love sharing stories from the community. This one really got me fired up. <laughs> I never got an email uh, from somebody who was planning a a multi-year trip like this, and they had a specific number in mind. So I thought that was pretty cool. And congratulations on leaving the corporate world behind for your life on the road, your new life on the road, or the next chapter of your life on the road, I should say. 
if you've got a story to share, of course, you can always get in touch, Jason at zerototravel.com. And I do have a link in the show notes for every episode where you can easily leave me a voice message just by clicking a link and hitting a record button. And I love to get those as well. Shout out to Austin who left me a message and hope you're doing well. And everybody else, I mean, if you haven't gotten in touch, you don't have to have one of these crazy stories like Timothy quitting your job and traveling for six years. You could just say hi. Just say hi. What's up? Let me know who you are. Love to make this two-way conversation. That's what community is all about. Okay, thank you for listening. Now let's slip and slide into today's interview and I will see you on the other side, my friend. Hi, Jason, I can see you. Yeah, yeah, good to see you. You're, you're, you're a man on the move, I guess, huh? Uh, it's just strange to be uh, sat in a car instead of walking for a change. <laughs> Are you on a break from work now? Yeah, that's right. Back to it now. Um, all the sort of charity raising fun is uh, is over for now. <laughs> Back to the grind. Two kids and yeah. work. What do you do? Uh, I work at Citizens Advice, which is uh, a UK-wide charity or a network of smaller charities. And basically it's um sort in a range of sort of social matters out for people um could be anything like consumer matters and energy and housing through to work and benefits problems so how long have you been there uh very nearly five years so i bumped into man health the charity i did a fundraising for only very recently um but it's quite a where i live is quite a deprived area um there's not a lot of work around you know, the, the cost of living is still fairly high, but people just don't have, have the money. So there's a lot of demand for this sort of charity work in the region. And five years, I feel like I've barely scratched the surface. All right. Well, I'm excited to talk about this unique thing that, that you've done. And I should officially welcome you to the show here. I'm on the line with Lewis Kirkbride. And I want to say welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for taking the time. There are a lot of things I'm excited to talk about when it comes to what you've accomplished here, but I have to ask you about your kids. How, how old are your kids? Because I have two kids myself. So, <laughs> um, Mine are six and very nearly three. So okay. we're going through some interesting phases at the moment, school and potty training and uh, learning to sleep again. They seem to have forgotten that, <laughs> which is... <laughs> kind of hampered my recovery from this walk. <laughs> Maybe a side benefit was that you actually got to get a little sleep on this trip. I got, yeah, two days <laughs> like walking 45 miles this time was, was something like a holiday. <laughs> <laughs> well, how, how old are your kids? My kids are five and almost three. So we're we're pretty much in the same boat here. I don't need to explain it to you. You know the deal. They keep, they keep you busy. That's for sure. Yeah in all the best ways possible. But let's talk about this. I mean, so many wonderful things about what you've accomplished here. And I kind of summarized before we started recording because I pre-recorded an intro for you. But I want to hear from you just a little synopsis of what you did just so people can can hear it from the horse's mouth, so to speak. Okay. Well, the, the challenge itself uh, this year anyway, was to walk 45 miles in two days, wearing four and a half stone of 11th century medieval armor. 
it kind of combines my passion as a sort of mental health campaigner with my hobbies and interests in medieval combat, which I do as both a martial arts and for shows. Over here, obviously, uh, we're tripping over history. So it, we do things for an organization called English Heritage. We fight in the castle, you know, crowds come to see us. Um, so it's kind of a mixture of all of those things. But I, I saw an opportunity to raise some funds and more importantly start a lot of conversations about mental health when I bumped into a charity and I just thought what got me through some struggles of my own was these hobbies this this stress release this fighting um the camaraderie and I saw a huge opportunity to do something a little eye-catching that would raise money and just make it okay to be talking about mental health in a different way and being like six foot two, uh, a, literally a trained warrior. My hope was that if I can talk more openly about these things, it would just encourage other people a bit too. You said two days, 45 miles, but how I found you, I read about like a 19 day walk you did. Yeah. Right. Were those, yeah. So talk, talk about that. Cause these are, it was it a similar thing, but just the longer version was this the first iteration of, what you've just accomplished? Well, last year, so sort of autumn time 2020, I walked, yeah, I walked 310 miles in 19 days. Again, wearing the, the sort of four and a half stone of armor. That was the, the initial challenge that I conceived, and it was based on the events of 1066. I don't know how much English history you might know and your listeners might know, but um, they've probably heard of the Battle of Hastings, possibly King Harold and, and King William who came after and this was kind of the physical challenge that was dripping with all this metaphor with mental health. And it, it was going from um, a place called Stamford Bridge in York, where King Harold had just marched north, defeated a Norwegian army, protected his kingdom, and then learned that King William, or Duke William as he was at the time, was landing on the south coast, and he had to march his whole army all the way down south again, uh, a distance of around 300 miles, and eventually he lost... The battle with William at Hastings. For me, the, the walk was a very much a physical challenge, carrying the burden of that armor, the weight, um, having to put that on day after day after day when I knew the slog that was ahead of me, you know, 15, 20, 25 miles each of those 19 days, never knowing where the, might, where the next blow might land, you know, what, what struggles I might encounter. And I kind of wanted to reach out to people and prove that when you're really up against it, when you're struggling, if you do ask for help, people are generally a lot kinder than, than you dare imagine. And they, they come out and offer support in all kinds of ways. So that was a, a grueling physical challenge. It was autumn time. So the weather was wet and windy, occasionally hot, but mostly wet and windy. And, you know, it was day after day after day of, of walking and sore feet and heat rash and exhaustion and bruises. And uh, it was brutal. But again, a lot of people sort of, it was a solo challenge, but a lot of people rallied round. They met me in the middle of a field with some coffee and some chocolate and then just walked a short way with me chatting about their stuff. That that really kept us going. And then I had this phenomenal welcome at the finish line in the town of Battle. Uh, and that really sort of buoyed us along the last few miles. Then this year, um, I was asked to by a historian, actually, to do something similar for a guy who followed in Harold's footsteps in a way. He, he was a guy called Hereward the Wake, and he was like the last Anglo-Saxon fighting back against the Norman Conquest. He was the last 
Englishmen as Englishmen were understood at that time to, to fight for his people and stand up against all the odds. Uh, and the, the guy who learned about my challenge last year sort of offered me the opportunity to represent Hereward and kind of recreate his journey, raiding Peterborough Cathedral, taking back the gold that the Normans had stolen. And he was going to use it and raise an army to fight back for his, for his people. So what I did was I marched another 45 miles in two days this time in the heat of June. It happened to be the hottest two days of the year in the hottest part of the country. And, and then wearing all this armor, march continuously through the heat. Um, and it, it did. It topped up the, the donations that the charity received quite nicely. But it, it, it resurrected some of those conversations with lockdown and COVID. Things have changed. Things have moved on in the last year. Certainly here they have. And, you know, that sense of people being in it together and, and sort of pulling together, it's sort of been lost a little bit. So it was nice to, to start those conversations again. And, and people are still in a bad situation. But for them to be able to to talk about things more openly again and have this excuse to to, to start these talking about their issues. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the first one, uh, I should highlight, you can fact check me if I'm wrong, but I'm on the justgiving.com page now, which we can link to, by the way, if anybody wants. Can people still donate there if they want to? I think the Just Giving page for the first challenge is probably closed by now. But um, right now, the, the other one is still open for the second challenge if people want to make a, any kind of donation to this kind of second phase, if you like. Cool. Um, yeah, according to the page, you raised over twenty four thousand pounds for uh, yeah, the, the man total, health, right? Yeah, exactly. The, the total was close to twenty seven thousand in the end. So you know, wow. if we can get okay. somewhere near three and a half thousand pounds with the second page, then that would bring the total to thirty thousand. That's enough to for man health to do what they do in six more towns. That's amazing, man. Well, I mean, congratulations. I. There's a lot I want to unpack around around this. I guess the first question I have is, where did you come up with this idea? Had you had you done a challenge like this before the first one? Have you done anything like this before? <laughs> Never. No, it, <laughs> it was just this crazy idea I had. Um, where does that come from? Like, hey, I'm just gonna. <laughs> <laughs> I guess my my folks have done somewhat similar things before my granddad who was actually my best friend you know i lost him a few years ago he even at the age of 80 was walking five miles a day in the mornings just just because he enjoyed it um my dad he walked the length of hadrian's wall in fancy dress costume and that's oh, about, really yeah yeah he did this a few years ago now and it was about lung lung cancer and uh yeah, okay. he raised a good, good amount of money and it's about 84 miles i think um that he did in in three or four days so i guess there is some kind of inspiration somewhere deep in my brain but with the sort of personal struggles i had over the few years the kind of you know uh, you end up going down a downward spiral and you sort of you know your world becomes very small and, and i don't know maybe I, you forget these things you you don't have the time and the headspace to to look at these crazy things you could do and it was as i say the, the one thing that i was still able to do the one thing that did sort of keep me going to some extent was this combat hobby i have um using german long medieval german long swords and learning it as a martial art and 
doing these shows for English Heritage, for, you know, big um, bank holiday weekend events at the castle, doing these kind of shows where it's fighting, it it was what sort of allowed me to express my identity, to um, through my mental health struggles, to sort of maintain a sense of self and to keep a bit of a link with the outside world. So that that was sort of always front of my mind when I wasn't dwelling on my problems. It was, you know, it was this stuff keeping me going and making my kit and, you know, perfecting my fighting technique and stuff like this. This was, it, it was a distraction, uh, but it was also a, a sort of a sense of purpose. And through my my paid work, through my employment, I then met the charity that just inspired me. And I thought if I had met Man Health sooner, I probably would have used them myself, given the the way that they support people and and the help they offer. And it just came on like a light bulb. The, the, I don't know this combination of things. Maybe the the back of my mind, the, the walking my dad had done, and my granddad, combined with the sort of debt of gratitude I felt towards this these these martial arts hobbies, and then the sort of absolutely sort of inspirational stuff i was i was seeing man health do i uh, just thought i've got to do something and it just came on like a light bulb I, I you know i knew the history would be different to people and interesting it's, it's not just jumping on a bike you know this this challenge is is different um it's laden with metaphor the, the burden of all the weight the heat the the slog the the diff, you know the, the sort of defense mechanisms putting on a brave face that that's akin to wearing that armor every day uh, it just all came together. And the more I thought about it, the, the more I came to realize, yeah, this this has got some mileage, if you pardon the pun. But what sealed the deal is, is walking through my village. I was testing myself. I didn't know if I could do this. I have um, various sports injuries, like ice hockey. I, I have really bad knees. And uh, that's an unusual hobby over here, by the way, ice hockey. So, yeah, is it? <laughs> you know, okay, like, oh. I was wondering that. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like all well, ice hockey rather than just hockey because over here, hockey is field hockey you know so <laughs> but I, I have these knee injuries so I, I did i did a lot of walks out and about wearing some of my armor to sort of test my knees see how far i could walk and i, I was kind of i was racked with doubt and uncertainty about my injuries about my achilles tendons and eventually in the village next to mine uh, i went through some woods and i just came across this site where a tree had been draped with uh, football scarves and flags and flowers and ornaments and tributes to dad, to son, to, you know, and I looked at this place and I thought only one thing could have happened here. You know, this bend in the, in the stream, um, a tree with big, thick limbs. It had very sad hallmarks written all over it. And when I started talking to local people, if they knew anything about this place, I came to realize that in the local villages here, maybe one in three people have been touched by people ending their own lives you know it's it's like a a, a disease an epidemic locally and yeah. when i say touched i mean they've lost somebody as close as a brother or a son or a father or an uncle we're not talking i like, know someone two villages over we're talking about someone in their family and it's nearly it felt like as many as one in three people here and then when i saw that tree when i heard that story and i found out a bit about this guy i mean the name i still carry with me i knew that I was, I, that was it. That was, you know, sealed the deal. I had to do this challenge. This episode is brought to you by U.S. Bank. Recently, I went out for tacos and it wasn't even Friday. Yes, we have Taco Friday. 
in Norway. Not Taco Tuesday. Well, more importantly, I could have earned rewards for every scrumptious bite of those chorizo soft shells. Introducing the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. Earn four times points when you go out for dining or order takeout and restaurant delivery, including tacos. Plus, you can earn two times points when you shop for or order your groceries, two times points when you need to fill up or charge up at gas stations and EV charging stations. You're even rewarded with two times points just for your favorite streaming services. Go to usbank.com altitude. Go! To learn more about how you can earn 20,000 bonus points worth $200 if you spend $1,000 in the first 90 days of opening your account. Win big with the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. Visit usbank.com slash Altitude Go to apply. Limited time offer. The creditor and issuer of this card is U.S. Bank National Association pursuant to a license from Visa USA, Inc. Some restrictions may apply. This episode of Zero to Travel is presented by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. From muddy jungle paths and snowy trails to rolling sand dunes, the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder has the capability to take you to some of the most epic destinations on Earth. We're excited to partner with Nissan because our listeners know we love to celebrate the joy of exploring the world and finding the best off-the-beaten-path destinations to visit. And there's no better vehicle for that than the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys, and it even has the best towing capacity in its class, up to 6,000 pounds, so you can bring the fun with you. But Nissan also knows that it's not just about where you go. In a Pathfinder, the real fun comes from getting there, and that's something we love celebrating here on the Zero to Travel podcast. We believe that life is about finding that joy within the journey itself, and that's why we're thrilled to partner with Nissan to celebrate adventurers everywhere. So thanks again to Nissan for sponsoring this episode of Zero to Travel and for the reminder to chase bigger, better, more exciting adventures and enjoy the ride along the way. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. And when you saw that, you were actually walking around in armor at that time? Yeah. Or, yeah. So that, was yeah. that like a sign? Did you take that as a sign <laughs> in some ways? I guess so. And and what made that all the more compelling was earlier in the day, I'd walked past this woman who who had her dogs and the dogs didn't like the armor. They were, they were going crazy. You know, they're pulling at the lead. They were barking and jumping. They, they didn't like the jingly noise and the, you know, this strange shiny appearance of this guy on the horizon. And when the woman got close, she just sort of, oh, hello, what are you doing? And I just said, oh, yeah, I, you know, I was thinking of doing this charity walk and I was testing myself and I was out of breath. I could barely talk to this woman. So we didn't have a long conversation. But when I was talking to people later on in the village about this tree that I'd found, um, I discovered that that woman was, was the man's mother. And in the same walk, you know, I'd done maybe 10 miles and by chance I'd walk past this, this poor bloke's mother and, and it, yeah, it, it kind she of. Didn't say, she didn't say anything at the time. No, I I don't remember whether we spoke about the cause that I was going right. to Right. Okay, yeah. Towards. Wow. Um, she she did, I don't know. I guess she thought it was weird that this guy in armor was walking around for charity, but she she didn't really question it too much. But when I when I heard the story about what happened to her son and the fact that I bumped into her earlier in that walk, it was yeah, it was hard. I mean, I'm not a superstitious person, but it was hard not to take that as some kind of nudge. I mean, the whole thing is full of coincidences. One of the first people I got in touch with when I was planning the walk was police. Because obviously I'm walking around carrying swords and spears. And, oh, right. And, yeah. You know. <laughs> Some and, logistics to be worked out there. 
Yeah, quite a lot, and, and legality and stuff. And, um, you know, the police were really helpful by and large, but one particular force um, where I would be walking through their patch, the guy I happened to got in contact with, he lost his partner, um, his police work partner, a few years ago. Uh, the guy had seen one too many traumas. He'd taken his own life. And the you know how policemen in the UK, they have like a... Um, epaulettes on their shoulders with a number like their service number and the partner's number was 1066 and and you know that's the year of the battle of hastings that's what triggered this whole thing he was just getting spooky uh, and but so many sad stories that, that there was no way after these conversations that i was not going to do this walk if it killed me wow so you give me goosebumps multiple times <laughs> yeah. just hearing that story because it's call it coincidence call whatever you want everybody's going to take what they believe and, and call it that. But I, I see a lot of uh, serendipity and magic in in those occurrences. Uh, that's incredible. And kudos to you for like kind of just having your antenna up and, and going forward with it because at any point you could have just been like, well, this is this is a lot to walk around in this thing. But you discussed some of the, the things going on in your village and some things you witnessed in your own community and, and the story you just shared. There was the the you part as well. I kind of wanted you to just talk a bit, a little bit of that, about that for you, if you're comfortable. I know you dressed, addressed it a little bit, but why is it so hard? And I don't know how it is in the UK. Uh, you know, every country sort of has their own sort of culture and, and social norms, if you will. Why is it so hard to talk about mental health, to be open with it? And, 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 and you can speak maybe through your own experience if, if you're comfortable with that. Yeah, there's there, there's a personal side to it, and I think you're right. There's a cultural side to it here in the UK as well, which which may be interesting to compare with overseas. But um, for me, it was more personal than cultural. And, and if you ask people around here why people don't talk about mental health, that you know they'll talk about manning up. They'll talk about um, the history of the place. You know, a lot of the villages here where where I've mentioned. They were mining villages. They, they, the only reason the villages existed was to house the population that worked in the mine. And it was a very close-knit They didn't want the whole village knowing their business. They, they didn't want to be seen as weak. They were taking their young lads down the pit to work, sometimes as young as 12 or 13. They, you know, they didn't want their child exposed to these things. They didn't want um, the wife to, to have a load of grief at home from, from other wives. There is a cultural element. And in the UK, you know, there's, there is a bit of that stiff upper lip thing. Um, there is still some of that. We are working on that. You know, it is changing a little bit, but there's still some kind of toxic masculinity thing associated with mental health. It's, you know, some people will act as though men should be able to shoulder this burden themselves that you know your mates are there for banter and and you know the level of friendships you have with people is is not such that you would talk about deep and meaningful stuff um i suppose some of what's lost in recent decades is you, you know men in the in the past it was a, the, the household was such that men would go to work after work they would go to the pub that's where they would talk to their mates or they would talk to their mates on the factory floor or in the office break room or, or something where more people are working remotely, they're, they're traveling to different places to work. They're not working close to home anymore, so they don't have those connections. And the men are kind of going home. Now, of course, 
same as everywhere. The men and women are both working and they're juggling busy lives. The men don't have that space anymore to talk to people, even if they were inclined to do so. And culturally, yeah, there's a lot of barriers. There's, there's, the, there's the masculinity, there's the fear, there's the worry about making yourself vulnerable, about offering up those weaknesses. And it is quite a brave thing to be able to do, actually. But it's still seen as having a vulnerability. So there is a cultural element. For me, it was a bit different because the nature of my issues are very close to home. I, I didn't have those external opportunities. I didn't have people that I see at the pub. I didn't have anyone to talk to outside of my home and family environment. But my issues were within the home and family environment such that I couldn't talk to other people in the family because obviously there are relationships between those other people uh, and I didn't want things to to affect each other you know I, I didn't want the people to alter their views on the people involved because you know I didn't think that was right or fair especially when I'm acutely aware that when you're going through these mental health things you kind of have tunnel vision it, it's not easy to see things clearly and I didn't want to sort of warp anybody's view of other people in the family or myself so I had nowhere to turn. That's the thing. You know, I had nowhere internal within the family to turn. I had nowhere external. And when you are left to stew on things to yourself, you know, you, you, you can't see clearly. Things tend to go downhill pretty quickly. So I found myself in some very dark places, you know. Um, yeah, I, I was pretty close to the brink myself. And it was a series of small coincidences that brought me back, uh, allowed me to reassess. Uh, and once I sort of literally then fought my way through it, I was able to reflect on what it was that, that kept me going. And that's why those hobbies, that martial arts stuff, that's why that was front of mind when I was you know, feeling so passionate about the mental health issues and wanting to do the charity challenge. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. And I, mean, I think the exact words you used was sense of purpose, that those things gave you a sense of purpose, and which is uh, obviously very important to mental health as a whole, I would say. And we should remind everybody that, yeah, you were specifically focused on um, men's mental health, but I mean, obviously mental health awareness applies to everybody, but you know, for some of the things that you described, like toxic masculinity and some of these other things, maybe specifically applying to men. And, and on that note, I mean, obviously you're a man. Was there more to why you focused on that specifically, men's health? Um, that's where man, man health started, because in the UK, suicide is the biggest killer of men under 50. Um, it's quite a stark statistic. It, it really is, you know, um, until you get to older age where people are more likely to have heart problems or cancer or things like that, unfortunately, um, you know, far, the deaths for people under 50 are far outweighed by suicide than anything else. And nationally in the UK, I think the statistic is something like 75% of suicides are men. And in the northeast of the UK, where I live, that's higher. So this is where Man Health was formed in the northeast of England, um, in a village where there had been something crazy like 15 suicides in the space of a few short years. And it's the one area I think there is already a lot of support 
for women and there is kind of a gap in the support for men. So Man Health are trying to fill that gap. And of course, they link up anybody else who might need help. So if a woman were to contact Man Health, of course, they would help. They would find the best support available. But Man Health, one reason I think that they are successful in circumventing the sort of toxic masculinity, some of those barriers that men face, is because the they don't have that immediacy. It's not too close to home. You know, you're not going to bump into anybody there who's from your family. You can talk safely. Um, but because it's led by by men, each group, they they understand some of those barriers maybe slightly more than a generic service. It is very you know they are specifically chosen to lead the groups when they might have been through some issues themselves and faced those barriers in themselves. So it's quite specialised in a way, I guess. But it's not exclusive. You know, they, they would of course support other people. So for me. I, I just it just spoke to me because yeah, I was aware of those barriers. Whether I faced them myself, I'm not sure. I certainly didn't have that external support. And I because I work through my employed job, you know, my employment, I work quite closely with health services in the UK. Um, I'm also aware of how the mental health support works or doesn't work so well. And that's that's kind of the gap, you know, that first step, that first place you turn to. That's the missing step. You can jump in with both feet into a more clinical service. You know, you can you can phone up, you can go through the process. It might take a while, but you can do some self-directed support. You can access doctors. You can, you know, eventually you can get quite in-depth support, quite clinical support. But if what you need is to stop yourself going in that spiral, down that downward slope in the first place, there isn't really a way for men to do that. Hmm. Okay. Thanks for sharing all that. We I mean, we have to talk about the travel aspect of this. <laughs> this is not something that uh, most travelers will experience. You know, walking through <laughs> as you as you mentioned, a place littered with history in in medieval armor. You know, I just love what you've done because a you've you've taken something that you feel is an important issue, something that you've had struggles with yourself and you know other people are struggling with in your community. And you found a way to to come up with an idea that can bring awareness to that and actual monetary support. But not only that, you've also found a way to have a tra- an interesting travel adventure, you know, right out your front door. Right. I mean, especially the first walk, you basically you walked from York to Hastings, correct? And that was a uh, you know almost twenty days, and the last one a couple days, so much shorter. But nonetheless, I mean, you are walking through your home country in a way that most people don't. You're meeting meeting people, having all these conversations. I imagine meeting a lot more different types of characters than you would if you were just kind of either riding a bike through town or even just walking through town regularly. So, uh, I just wanted to hear about the travel experience of what it was like, how it helped, uh, uh, did it allow you to see your home country differently? Uh, Just like talk about it. Yeah. um, It was a big adventure. Uh, I'd never done anything remotely like it before. And, you know, I I haven't walked that kind of distance. It's certainly true that when you're on foot, you you take in a lot more, you see a lot more, you feel more attuned with nature. Um, 
when you're then in the armor as well, what happens is people come to talk to you who would never have come to speak to you normally. I mean, you get the occasional person who looks at you at a distance and sort of skirts around. But most people are too curious. They come over and they start talking. And what was nice as the travel continued, as the miles racked up, was people began to hear about this in advance. So they started to look for me. Uh, and then they would come to me and they would, because I had this armor, it would be their excuse to tell me about their mental health struggles and, and what they've faced and who they've lost and tell some of their stories. And I ended up walking alongside serving soldiers. I walked alongside firemen and policemen and prison guards and nurses and doctors and mothers and, you, you know, um, a lot of people who's who've been affected directly by suicide as well. And then people started to ask if they could come along for the experience. So that, that travel aspect, you know, people latched onto that a little bit. I had guys in armor on horses one day. Um, I had just other walkers with you. in armor who just come along. Yeah, just come along for the ride. But we were going across countryside where you've got this strange mix of wearing medieval armor. Um, I couldn't wear the medieval footwear just because I wanted to make sure I completed the challenge safely. But you know, a few guys had medieval boots with absolutely no grip on the bottom, just flat leather. And we were there walking through lashing rain on busy A roads with trucks going past at 60 miles an hour. That one minute, and then the next minute, we're jumping over a stile and over a fence into, you know, ankle deep mud in a field with sheep. And, and, you know, we're navigating through the woods and it's starting to get dark and it's slippy and, the, you know, it's wet and cold. We, ha we had some of these challenges, but from from an, from a walker's point of view it was kind of you know it was all the seasons in one walk it was it was wet it was cold it was hot it was windy is it that was, england right yeah that's england all over four seasons in one day almost and and you know that walking the length of the country you also notice a difference between north and south i mean it's, it's a relatively small country compared to you know across the pond but Walking 300 miles, the, the it's almost like the climate changes in that distance, you know, these microclimates. And the other, you know, so we had that sort of walking challenge and I was trying to sort of hone my natural navigation skills. I was using trees and leaves to find north and south. Um, you know, it, it was fun doing all of that stuff and, and kind of the one minute I was, it was in solitude and it was reflective and I was in tune with nature. The next, these people would arrive and I feel a bit like Forrest Gump, you know, with this, this contingent behind me. But the other aspect was, you know, so there's that natural aspect, but the other aspect was the historical stuff. So I'm walking through some of the towns that King Harold would almost certainly have walked through. And people asked, how did you unearth the route that he took? And the first thing you do when you're planning a challenge like this is you, you draw a line on a map between your start and finish points. And, you know, you look start? at what town... It's a good start. I mean, in the UK, we're lucky enough to have Roman roads. This is exactly what the Romans did. They knew the shortest distance is a straight line. So they, where did they want to go? They want to go from York to London. And they draw a straight line and hey, presto, towns appear every 15 or 20 miles. So that really helped. But in 1066, the other consideration is, you know, I've got medieval kit and I'm walking very much modern conditions, modern surfaces in some places, as well as mud. But in 1066, most of England was wooded or marshy. And in fact, there are places where you'd be walking on a causeway through a swamp or you'd have to use a boat to cross the stream where there's no bridge. And when you look at that route that I took, 
It goes through towns like Lincoln, which is a very historic town. It goes through Peterborough, which is a very historic town. It goes through Huntingdon, which is a very important Roman river crossing. And when you think that the rest of the landscape, you know, it's not like now where there's a network of roads and there's a network of, uh, of well, there's infrastructure, you know. But now in 1066, there would have been the Roman road and very little else. So it's almost certain that Harold walked through these towns. So here's me in medieval armor walking through medieval gateways, Roman archways and stuff like this, going through Lincoln and Peterborough, walking past the cathedral that's been standing there over a thousand years. You know, it, it, it's it, as a travel blog, if you like, <laughs> it, it was quite interesting. And I, and I tried to share some of that with people following on social media. You know, I tried to sort of say things I'd learned, picture interesting people, reflect on some of the conversations I had with these weird and wonderful people who just appeared. Um, and it, it gave a lot of food for thought for the mental health aspects as well. You know, I was doing live broadcasts at 12.05 every day with a, a sort of a, my phone attached to the end of my spear looking back at me and today's guest. That's the, uh, the ancient medieval selfie stick? Yeah, Is pretty that... much. Yeah, it was literally, I mean, I called it spear cam because I literally attached my, my iPhone to the end of my spear. And, uh, you know, it, it kind of, I ended up like a TV presenter almost talking to today's guest who is a soldier about what it's like in the army at the moment. Uh, and the, the, the experience of traveling was kind of almost subverted by the mental health conversations. But in between times, I did get to experience the changing terrain, I, the, the different weather, the walking, the solitude, the reflection, the nature. Um, and I was staying in, well, I had 19 days of walking. I stayed in 19 different places. And it was often just people who offered somewhere safe and dry to stay. It was a caravan. Is that what, you didn't, you didn't pre-plan hotels or anything? You just decided you were going to find things on the way or... Or it had to be pre-planned to some extent. So, you know, I had a little bit of help with moving my overnight kit bag because obviously I needed some supplies, but this was not, this was not like, I didn't have a support vehicle. I didn't have um, 19 hotels booked. What I had was a few kind people in one town who said, well, you can stay in my caravan on the driveway. And another kind person said, well, you know, I'll finish work early and I'll move your bag for you to the next stop uh, while you're walking. So, it was it was piecemeal and and you know there were 19 stops there were i don't know maybe 15 different people who gave accommodation or paid for a hotel if there was nothing else to be found people actually paid for a hotel for me one night or two nights here and there so it was a logistical challenge but i saw pretty much everything there is to see about the uk and its people <laughs> yeah and uh, can you share uh, a conversation or two, or maybe just a, a meeting or an experience doesn't even have to involve people that, that kind of stuck with you. Would you love to have an incredible cup of coffee every day? I've tried it all. I've done the pour over. I've done the French press, but I tasted an AeroPress coffee many years ago and immediately I was sold. I had to get one. AeroPress is a patented three-in-one brew technology. This combines the flavor benefits of espresso, pour-over, and French press all into one compact portable device built for travel or home. I love things you can use in both places. This device has over 55,000 five-star reviews in over 60 countries. AeroPress is the best-reviewed coffee press on the planet. I've owned one for so many years, I don't even remember how long it's been. And they are under 50 bucks 
So they also make an exceptional gift, thoughtful, proven, tasty, and travel-oriented. Who wouldn't love that? Now, you get 20% off just for being a listener of this show at aeropress.com slash zero to travel. That's aeropress, A-E-R-O-P-R-E-S-S dot com slash zero to travel. That will save you 20% on checkout. Thanks to Aeropress for supporting today's show. Hey, it's Jason here. Did you know you are invited to join the first ever Zero to Travel community trip? Yes, we're planning a trip together. We're headed to Morocco November 30th through December 9th. And you can get all the details at zerototravel.com slash trip. It's open for booking now. We have 13 spots left at the time of this recording. And you have until the end of March to book. So if you're interested in traveling with an amazing community, this community, a small group of people, on an incredible journey through Morocco together with me. Sign up over there at zerototravel.com slash trip to get all the details. Thanks for listening and hope to see you there. Um, there was one woman in North Lincolnshire who um, she, she said, hello, my, I won't use her real name. She said, hello, my name is Jenny. And last year I sectioned myself, which is to say she... Uh, you know, under the Mental Health Act in the UK, she she went into into care. She she voluntarily went into a secure environment, and um, she walked with me a short way. We had a conversation about her experiences. It was still very raw and emotional for her because you know that this woman had. She was only talking about last year. You know, she's she's still very much on the road to recovery, but she had booked a day off work just to come and bring me coffee and chocolate and and walk with me a short distance and carry the flag you know, be part of that challenge. And later on in the day, she, she said she'd, she'd gone back to speak to, gone back to work, spoken to her boss and decided she was going to drive ahead and bring us lunch. And then when we got there, you know, this was one of the days a friend had just turned up out of the blue to walk with me. He realized he was going to have some difficulty getting back to his car. And she said, well, I'll meet you at the finish line and I'll drive you 20 miles back so that my friend could, could pick up his car just so that he could walk the extra 10 miles with me. And what, what that allowed, as well as talking to this nice woman, Jenny, this allowed me to spend an extra two or three hours with my friend who I rarely see and discover that he'd been on medication, that he'd had you know mental health issues. A guy I'd known for 25 years uh, and had spent a lot of good quality time with, it's the first time he's ever mentioned anything to me. So, so that little bit of kindness from this one woman we'll call Jen, Jenny, that, you know, apart from the, the jaw dropping honesty, the, the, the sort of the trust that she had talking to me about sectioning herself, you know, walking into a mental health facility and saying, I need help from that sort of display of kindness that, uh, and listening to her. She repaid it 10 times over and helped my friend. And, and, you know, it just has the whole walk had then had this snowball effect. Um, other memorable moments, you know, th- this guy, um, he works with horses. He does some of this historical shows like I do, but I've rarely encountered him, in, in, you know, in, in this line of activity. And he just phoned me up and said, have you got accommodation in this leg? It looks like from your social media post, you might need a hotel here and you might need transport there. He not only paid for a hotel, he arranged for four of his best riders to come and accompany me on horseback with their armor and give me an, a mounted escort into the next town uh, and attract a lot more attention. And then I discovered, you know, that he was a struggling businessman. He'd had his own mental health issues. So it was, it, 
again, it was like very permissive doing this challenge and it led to some really visible stuff. It caught the news, it caught national news in the end. Uh, and all these little bits of help and kindness when people just kind of, they come out of the woodwork when they have this excuse, they, they have this figurehead. Um, it led on to more and more and more. Uh, and the, the help was just incredible. It, it, you know, when I said earlier, I wanted to prove that people are helpful if you just reach out not only are they helpful, this just kind of snowballs and then they go and find the help that they need. Yeah. Wow. Beautiful. What is the biggest thing this whole experience has taught you so far? Biggest lesson for you? Um, I think it kind of confirmed those suspicions I had about how helpful people are fundamentally. You know, we, we, there's a lot of politics, there's a lot of argument, there's a lot of bitterness in the world right now. But on a one-to-one level, People really want to help. They are kind. Um, and so I think if you're someone who's on a downward slope and you're struggling uh, and the world seems like it's kind of turned its back, it's closed ranks on you, um, find someone individually to talk to and, and they'll almost certainly help you. So, so that was a biggie. But, you know, I kind of hoped that was the case and, and this was proven for me. So so that was quite a big one. But... um. I think you can't, you, you know, you, you can't underestimate the passion people have. One of the other revelations for me, speaking to so many people about mental health, was how passionate people are to stop other people going through the same thing that they've struggled with. The number, you know, I'm speaking to a soldier one day whose best friend was basically um, no more. He, he sat on a chair in a theater of conflict and that chair was rigged. And, the, you know, the guy saw his best friend disappear in front of his eyes. And now, you know, through all the trauma that the soldier suffered, he, he is now an advocate in the army for mental health. And he's helped set up things that weren't there before to help people. And it's like his mission in life is to stop other people battling with the things that he himself has battled with. This is kind of what the man health guys do. You know, they, they come to man health as a, a service user, if that's the right word, um, that, you know, they, they come along with their own problems. They're looking for help. They don't know what to do. They don't know what to expect. They come to man health. They, they might sit there for three sessions and not say a word. And then one day they open up for the first time in 25 years and, and they unload their problems by week six or seven, they're the guy who's asking, can I start a new group in my town? I have this experience to share. I have this guidance to offer. You give me a bit of training, a bit of support, and, and I can be one of your guys. And that passion, anybody who's around mental health and, and been struggling, I, I was absolutely blown away by how passionate people are to prevent those problems for others. I don't know how to quantify it, but that, that's, the, that's kind of the two things is that willingness to help that people have. But it, I guess it's kind of so many people are touched by mental health, those dark places. People never, like, they will move heaven and earth to stop anybody else going there that doesn't need to. Yeah. And uh, kudos to you for doing your part. I mean, that's just a big reason I wanted to talk to you. I find it really inspiring. And I, I love, I love the advice you gave there too. The first thing you did was just, you know, draw a line from point A to point B. And that's essentially what travel is, right? What you do in between is kind of up to you. You certainly chose a unique way to, <laughs> to walk that line. 
uh, or to get across that line. Before I share one last thing, I, I wanted to ask you what just describe the experience of walking in all of this armor. Like, how does it feel on your body? It's easy to kind of romanticize that period. Look, it's a knight in shining armor and like, do, 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 riding a horse. And, you know, what does it really feel like, man? <laughs> yeah, it, it was hard. No, make no mistake. This, this was not an easy challenge, but um, you have to give medieval people a lot of credit for their craftsmanship and skill and their understanding of what works. The, the, if I describe the kit for you, so there's several layers. The first layer is like a linen undershirt and linen, they're called braids. They're basically like, long johns um and they are breathable um they are quite tough they are somewhat comfortable and it has to be laced shut so you know you've got it takes a long time to get this stuff on then on your legs you have woolen hose so basically woolen cloth shaped tightly around your legs but you have a separate one for each leg there is no kind of gusset in the middle so you can actually move really well because your legs are not tied together. You know, so, but it's warm because you've got layer of wool on top of your linen, but and it can be a bit itchy, especially when you get sweaty, but it, it's, you know, kind of breathable. It dries quick. And even if you get wet, it can keep you warm because it's wool. Then over the top of this, I wore Anglo-Saxon leg wraps. It's like a, a putty from a World War I soldier or like a bandage around your legs. It's quite thick wool. And that protects you from brambles and nettles and it stops things getting in your boots. It's really practical. And now if I go for a walk in modern clothing, I still wear the leg wraps on top. Um, they're so, so good. I was wading waist deep in thorns and nettles. Other people wouldn't dare go places like that. You know, it, it's practical. Then underneath the armor itself, you have a padded layer um, called a gambeson or an acaton. And it's like, a few layers of linen with some wool sandwiched in the middle and quilted. It's like wearing a duvet. It's a lot of layers, man. Yeah. And this, you know, this is before you get to the heavy bit, this, this you know, when the, when a gambeson, it's like knee length. Okay. So it goes from my shoulders to my cuffs, to my knees. Uh, it's a long, thick, heavy garment. Uh, it's very warm, but it gives you padding in a fight. It's the padding for you. The armor doesn't really pad you, but this underneath does. What it does as well is add a lot of heat. So we start sweating almost as soon as you put this garment on. When it soaks through with sweat, as can often happen when you're walking all day, um, that garment in itself weighs about 14, 15 pounds. So you have this thick, heavy, wet, sweaty, warm layer on. Then comes the, the armor, which is uh, in the year 1066, it would be what's generally called chain mail over here but historically it's just armor mail and it, it's a mesh of steel rings that are usually riveted together and that in itself weighs about three stone three and a half stone so something like 40 pounds and it's again it's knee length because as a soldier you'd want to protect your thighs um down to your knees and it sits on your shoulders. It weighs heavy on your shoulders until you tie a belt around your waist tightly. What the belt does is it puts some of the weight onto your hips instead. So it sort of distributes the weight. And the, the steel is designed to stop you being cut. So you've got the padding underneath, 
to protect you from blunt force, the steel on the top to protect you from cuts and slashes. And together it works as a, as a very heavy, very hot system. Then on top of this, I had, you know, I had my sword strapped on with a, a belt around the waist and also a, a strap across the shoulder. I had a shield on my back. Um, I had two bags full of food and technology. A lot of water, I hope. A lot of water, yeah. I mean, I had this leather water bottle that carries about two pints of water. And I was refilling it, you know, in in most villages when I got any any opportunities. Kind of like smoke it while you got it mentality when when you're walking and sweating and all this gear. So the water was, yeah, I, I, I was drinking maybe 10 liters of water a day on the walk. Um. On top of this, I had like a padded cap, which is again, it's like the padding part of your armor, then a helmet on top. So breathing was, was hot and heavy. Uh, my face was uncovered. You know, the, 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 the helmet of 1066 is kind of the top of your head and a, a thing on your nose, but you, you know, you can breathe. But just, you know, every step, left, right, left, right, you've got four and a half stone of additional weight. It's like carrying a child for 20 miles around your neck. And you've got the heat. There's nowhere for the trapped heat to escape. And underneath, you've got these layers of layers and layers and layers of cloth trapped and sweaty and rubbing against you. You know, I had, I was bleeding on the sides of my body where the belt was strapped on and, and the cloth was rubbing for 15, 20 miles. Um, I didn't get blisters really, but that's because I was very careful with the footwear. But, you know, I, I was red raw in places and sweat rash and heat. And, when you take it all off at the end of the day, you feel like you're going to float away. You know, it's such a, yeah. such a difference. You're like, I can jump up to the moon right now. Yeah, exactly. Sure. But, but the thing is, you know that after a short sleep, you've got to put it all on again. And it, yeah. it takes, it maybe takes half an hour or more just to wear, put on the clothes. Never mind having a shower and brushing your teeth and everything. It's half That's an hour. That's a mental every- challenge, a big mental challenge as well as a physical yeah. one. And, and a lot of the training, I was walking in the full kit long before the actual walk just to make sure that every strap and every buckle and every lace was exactly right because the slightest thing would could result in a wound and infection that would derail the whole challenge so you know every little thing when you're walking when you're fighting for a couple of hours it's bad enough when you're walking seven or eight hours a day um you know it's the difference between completing the challenge or not is having your belt in the right place yeah and now you've completed two of these challenges, so, uh, <laughs> quite a long one in a couple of days, which uh, 45 miles, that's no small distance either. So um, no you know, just want to say thanks for coming on and, and sharing your experience. You know, I think a big takeaway for me is, yeah, just thinking about, it, it's easy to kind of ask yourself, you know, in this big world, when, when you want to do something, it's like, well, what can I do? You know, I'm just one person. And then we hear something like this that you've done and finding a way to take what was a struggle for you. Um, you know, we're talking to people that love travel here on this podcast. So, you know, we're also combining, look, you found a way Lewis to, to take a struggle, but then combine it with like a, a challenge. Cause that seems to be a, an enjoyable part of it for you. I would imagine if you were, if you're into, you know, fighting and things like that, this is many challenging aspects to that and travel and adventure. And also just a reminder that, hey, look, you don't have to go across the halfway across the world to do something like this. I mean, this is just coming from your head. And you're just like, hey, I'm just going to do this thing. And I'm going to go right here in my home country. And I'm going to sort of be the change, if you will. So I just wanted to say thanks for the inspiration. And 
maybe challenge some of the listeners out there if, if you've been on the fence thinking about doing something, whatever that is. Maybe it's not walking in, in armor, you know, 300 miles, but maybe you have your own version of that, however small or big that is. I think this is a great reminder that, hey, we do have power as individuals to like to make change on, on small and big levels and it all matters. So thank you. No, no, thank you for having me. And as you say, it's like um, those aspects of travel that people do enjoy, that discovery and, and different people and seeing things in a different way through another pair of eyes. You know, that, like you say, that can be on your doorstep when, when you're walking. So, uh, yeah, thank you for, for giving me the opportunity to share the message and, you know, do have those conversations with strangers along the way and see what snowball effects naturally happen. Yes, the snowball effect is huge, right? You mentioned that a couple of times and uh, you never know what, how what you do affects everybody else. You just can never know. So we will include whatever links you want and things in the show notes. And if you don't mind sending me a picture or two so people can see you know, your get up and, and maybe a couple of pictures from the adventure that we can post up, then they can go check it out with the show notes as well. So they can really see kind of what, what you look like out there and what you were wearing and and how it was and bring a, that visual aspect to it. So if you want to share any links or anything here, certainly welcome to do that If uh, or we can just put them in the show notes. That's fine too. Great. Okay. Thanks, Jason. I'll, um, is it best to send you this stuff through um, email? You had email yes. contact, didn't you? Send it to me via email. No worries. <laughs> okay. Nice one. <laughs> Thank you so much. All right. Nice to talk to us. Have a nice day. You too. Bye now. Take care. Bye-bye. There you have it. My conversation with Lewis. And I appreciate that he took his lunch break to chat with me. He was actually in the car when we were recording this interview. And for me, it was just a great reminder, as I mentioned, that we can truly be the change we want to see in the world. As an individual, we have more power than we think we do sometimes. I, I do believe that. So coming out of this episode, this really got me thinking of, wow, you know, what if I was stepping into that power? What would be the next thing that I do? And look how you can get creative with these things to infuse travel or adventure or whatever you love. You know, this is a travel podcast. I know you're here because you love travel. And I thought this was a wonderful story. You know, this is an adventure that Lewis took in his home country, right out of his front door, taking something he loves, something he was passionate about, and also merging that with this charitable component and creating awareness around mental health. And also you have the, the, the travel side and getting to interact and meet with different types of people on a trip like this that you never would have met before. Now, this isn't maybe the traditional tourist type traveler backpacking trip, but that's cool too. You know, you wouldn't meet these type of people and have these conversations under this context if he wasn't doing what he was doing. And we all have this power within us. So we might not be throwing on a bunch of medieval armor and taking a long walk, but we all have the ability to do whatever version of that we think might be cool for us, right? And I just wanted to share some of those thoughts. And this led to the the beautiful equation thing because I was thinking about the simple travel equations. For example, one-way ticket plus backpack equals adventure, right? <laughs> that's, a, that's a great travel equation. I love 
beautiful. I, I like reading popular science. I'm not uh, somebody that can geek out on physics in, in terms of technically, but I love a good, elegant equation that explains the universe, like E equals MC squared, as they said on PBS.org. Energy equals mass times the speed of light squared. On the most basic level, the equation says that energy and mass, or matter, are interchangeable. They are different forms of the same thing. I mean, that's probably the most famous elegant equation, right? It's just three letters and a number and one symbol. E equals MC squared. Beautiful. And I thought about these travel equations, too, translating that to travel. I don't know why. Don't ask why I'm thinking about these things. Anyway... I thought about what Lewis did and and really his equation was take something you love and know, add something you want to create an awareness around or maybe raise money for, add travel, and that equals an incredible experience, probably, in many ways. You don't know maybe what it equals. You won't be able to add that part of the equation till you've kind of been through it. So what travel equation are you going to write next? You'll have to let me know. (laughs) Let me know. If you come up with one, I'd love to hear it. Okay. Lastly, let's talk about this great awakening. Okay, maybe that's a bit of an exaggeration, but I found this article in the Los Angeles Times just the other day, and the article was titled, Welcome to the Summer of Quitting. Why many of us are saying goodbye to our jobs. And this was by Sam Dean. You can Google it. The tagline here, not the tagline, but the next part of the article said, pent up demand, pandemic savings, back to office mandates. Experts say it will all add up to a historic wave of people leaving their jobs. And long story short, it seems to be that the trends are indicating a lot of people quitting their jobs. And maybe... This pandemic just gave people a time for themselves to see what it was like to have the flexibility to work from home. If you love to travel, you probably were thinking, you know, if that was you, oh, when it opens up, I could, if I can work from home, I can work from anywhere. And maybe a little more time for self-care without the commuting and things like that. And people are just, I feel like tired of the demands, uh, especially in, in the West, I would say in, in the USA, I mean, I'm here in Norway, they have a required five weeks vacation for everybody. And that's a whole different animal, right? People get more time to relax. It's not that way uh, in the US, as you in the US listening know. And depending on what industry you're on in, in other countries, you might be in that hustle mentality too. And people are just tired of it, man. You know, life's too short, all that. And now this is, statistics are starting to bear this out. It seems that more people than ever are leaving their jobs. And I'm not here to argue whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, but maybe sometimes it's not always about the economy and money and hustling, whatever. Insert whatever thing is bothering you. Maybe sometimes it's just about living, you know? It seems like people are waking up to that and realizing, hey, I don't want to do this for the next 10 years and look back, I'm going to regret it. And I saw a great meme quote type thing uh, on the internet the other day and it said something along the lines of, nobody ever wishes that they traveled less. (laughs) It's so true. 
you know? So with that, I will say thank you very much. I'll leave you with a quote from Rumi today who said, yesterday I was clever, so I wanted to change the world. Today I am wise, so I'm changing myself. Be the change, my friend. Thanks so much for tuning in. I'll see you next time. Peace and love. This podcast has been brought to you by ZeroToTravel.com. Ideas and advice to make your travel dreams a reality. 